Welcome to this special edition of the Nordic Talks podcast, recorded at the recent COP28 in Dubai. At this climate conference, we tried something new. We gave the word solely to the next generation. We asked youth delegates from Nordic countries to invite speakers from different parts of the world, people who've given their lives to the climate movement. In this session, you'll meet Benjamin van Bunderer Roberix, founder of Climate Justice for Rosa, for a conversation on intergenerational justice, climate anxiety, and the victims of climate change. I'm Josefine Folkvarts, and I'm handing over the microphone to the two hosts of this episode, the Danish youth delegates, Lisa kürmann Nugo and Markus Taulbo. everyone and welcome to this episode of Nordic Talks. It's an honor to be here at COP28 together with all of you and I hope that all our listeners out there are doing good. My name is Lisa kerman nygo and I'm one of the Danish youth delegates to COP28. And you? My name is uh, Markus Talbo and I'm also one of the Danish youth delegates. And then we have you, Ben. And um, can you just tell me a little bit about yourself and how the past days been? So thanks, Marcus. Very glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. So hi everyone. I am Benjamin van Bunderen Robberets. I'm 17 years old from Brussels, Belgium. I'm a climate activist with Climate Justice for Rosa and a climate advisor of CRIM, the Children's Rights International Network. Thank you very much, Ben. And it's an honor to have you here at the Nordic Pavilion. And as you just said, you're only 17 years old. That's quite of a young age, but you've already done a lot within this field of climate and climate action. Uh, but can you share with us, what would you think is your biggest achievement as a climate activist? I think I would have to say, the, um, together with the help of Franz Simmermans and Margaret Vestager, I instituted a European Day for the victims of the global climate crisis. And I'm kind of proud of that, so uh, I think that's it. Oh, yeah, it's very nice. And I know that uh, Guterres also has said that he wants to do it in, uh, in the UN as well. So congratulations to you. Thank yeah. you. You have some meetings with like high UN people, so that's pretty nice. Yeah, that's so cool. But you, you started mentioning um, the organization Climate Justice for Rosa. Do you want to like tell how it all began? Sure. I've been like an activist for like five years, six years. But like at first I was like a children's rights activist. I'm the, um, uh, what is it called, the advisor of the children's rights ombudsperson in Belgium for like five, four years or something. But then in the summer of 2021, I decided to go to a camp, a camp for really, really young people that wanted to make a difference in the world. So a camp full of climate activists. And it was in the Ardennes in Belgium. It's like a more mountainous region. It's like not really mountains, but very hilly. And um, I met an amazing girl there, Rosa. And we immediately became very good friends with everyone from the camp. And we spent our days talking about how we are going to change the world together. And yeah, making plans, doing it better than our parents, laughing, singing, dancing, just having an, yeah, an awesome summer. We also just came out of the lockdown, so it was really, we could finally be regular teenagers again. But then, um, on the 14th of July, it started to rain. And um, through our campsite, there was a small stream that flowed 
there was a small stream flowing to our campsite that um, started to suddenly rise. And me, Rosa, and some other friends were in the house where we always were. were. And through the window, we could see the river rising and rising, became, becoming wilder. Also, it turned like a brown color. And yeah, we had to get out of the building because it was going to flood. And to do that, we need to cross a field, cross a bridge, and then go up the hill. So me, Rosa, and some other friends, we went outside. We were standing on the field. But suddenly, the field started to flood. And we couldn't see yeah, where the field ended and the stream started. And I don't know how it happened, but suddenly Rosa got taken by the water a few meters from me. And I remember only her head was above the water and she was screaming, but yeah, the water was too strong. And I immediately started running next to Rosa. But then there was a bush and I couldn't go any further, so I jumped in. And I was holding Rosa with one hand while trying to grab like branches that was hanging over the stream, but yeah, the water was too strong. It really wasn't water anymore, but a raging brown monster dragging us along. And after a while, we also went underwater. And then I don't really know what happened, but after a while, I got hit by some kind of pole sticking out of the water. And I grabbed it with one arm, and I was still holding Rosa with the other. But then there came an even bigger wave, and she slipped out of my hands. I crawled out of the river, but I didn't see her anymore. And her body was found three days later, seven kilometers further down the stream. And yeah, that was the most horrible moment of my life. And so the months afterwards, I was so traumatized, I couldn't think anymore. I had to go to school, but I couldn't focus. I didn't really, yeah, what, what's the meaning of being there? But then I thought, yeah, what would Rosa do? And Rosa was a climate activist like me. She, she would fight, she would make sure that this doesn't happen like more. Actually, the, the horrible thing is that this like, is going to happen more. We need to make sure that not uncountable more people have to die from it. And then the big climate march in Brussels was coming up, and me, Rosa, and some other friends, uh, me and Rosa's other friends, we decided to all go to the march, dressed in red with signs for Rosa, and really be there, start the Climate Justice for Rosa campaign, to show everyone that climate change isn't just about statistics, percentages, numbers, it's about people. And everyone needs to understand that behind every number lies a person that dies or loses his livelihood. So I feel it's very important to really tell those personal stories and create more awareness. That's a very, very heartbreaking story, and thank you very much for sharing it with us, because I totally agree with you that uh, I think that we need to share those stories in order to, to really uh, wake up the rest of the world and make sure that we will have enough action. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I'm just uh, wondering how, how could you find like, the energy afterwards to when you have had this feeling, when, when the depression, or not depression, but the feeling of yeah, hopelessness after this episode, how do you gain the energy to <coughs> focus and turn it into a positive change for the world? I think it was just like a kind of a switch that I made in my mind to just really yeah, fight for Rosa, fight that no, not an economy, more people have to die that way. 
and also actually really helped me to like kind of process it also to like make sure that Rosa didn't die for nothing. So it was very difficult, it's still very difficult, but I feel it's so important to do. And also, I forgot to mention, Rosa is half Danish, by the way. Um, so it's also really cool to be able to speak here in the Nordic Pavilion. Yeah, and I can, I can totally imagine that, that this story has changed a lot, of course, for you. And I think it has also changed a lot from other people because you have shared the story many times already. Um, and we as youth delegates uh, often get the question from what do we call like adult people asking why is there so many young people who has climate anxiety and have all of these fears for the future? Um, what do you think about that? Like why, why are we so overwhelmed with climate anxiety as a youth? I think it's because it's our future. It's our future. This is going to happen more and more and more. And so we need to reduce the, the global... Like, <laughs> Um, sorry. Um, we need to make sure that our future is protected. And I think in 2019, so many young people really went to the marches, like stood up and told the politicians that we, you need to save our future. But it looks like nothing has happened. And then I know always politicians tell me, yeah, there, we've been doing very good things. And yeah, great, but do it faster, please. It's they're doing something, but really not enough. Everyone needs to really understand the severity of the situation and also understand that people are dying. And so I fully understand climate anxiety. And yeah, it's a really horrible thing, but I feel, I also really kind of have the feeling that if we all just stay in our beds, depressed, thinking about we're not going to have a future, then nothing's really going to happen. I think it's more powerful if we use that anger, use that frustration, that yeah, being scared to really stand up and fight for our future. Yeah, of course, because of course it, we won't change that much if we are just lying in, in our beds, even though it, that is very understandable. I think we have also been talking a lot about that this term climate anxiety can maybe have a bit of a wrong, maybe it's a bit of a wrong word to use, uh, because I think within the word anxiety, it says that it's a irrational fear, um, and it's a psychological disease, maybe even, and I think, uh, as you say, to, to be afraid of the future and to be afraid of what will happen with our world if we do not act now and act much faster than what we do, uh, yeah, then everything will go down. So, of course, it's quite rational even to have this... Uh, to have this fear. So I think that we also sometimes need to change the words and the language that we're using about this because I, I can talk for myself that I, I sometimes get a bit angry when I get the question, why, are you, why do you have anxiety about the future? Uh, I always kind of want to change it around and ask, why don't you have anxiety about the future? Uh, I mean, look out of the window. Uh, of course, a lot of things is happening in Global South, but your story show also shows that this is also something that's already affecting us. Um, yeah, so I think we need to wake up and, and act and accept that it's okay and totally fair and rational to have fears for the future. Yeah, and then the question will be, how, how do we turn this rational fear into, into action? Because you, you spoke in, in Copenhagen for, uh, for a couple of years ago uh, to the big climate march where you told your story about Rosa as a Danish girl. But how do you use this rational fear so it, it come into action? Because that's also something that we need. We need that to see some action both from youth, 
both from uh, yeah here at COP, we need to see it from uh, negotiators, but also world leaders. Well, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know that you, you had the big answer, but uh, answer. yeah, um, I think it's sort of a switch that you have to make. Like, I have anxiety, and that's okay, that's understandable, but I'm gonna use it to to fight, to fight for our future, and just find some way you feel comfortable with to yeah do actions, and also don't set like very big like objection like what's the right word i'm sorry i'm super tired um no it's like um you just need to think what is the best way to like do action for you you can i think we need all kinds of activists we need people like glue themselves do civil disobedience acts actions but we also need people i think a bit more like us we try to be a bit more diplomatic but also very firm we stand for the same thing but we just have different ways of yeah, showing everyone what we mean. Um, so really just find your way. Also do it with friends. It's actually really fun to be an activist. Sometimes it's really frustrating, but we can also have fun. Um, so find whatever is best for you. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. thank you. Um, I sometimes use the word uh, climate melancholia because uh, the word uh, melancholia is about seeing things uh, have a it's it's all black, like like uh, having this thought of thinking of it, because that's sometimes how how I experience the future when I when I think about it. Uh, I have a I have a worrying about how the world will will look like. Um, we see we see temperatures, we see we see these big uh, events, and it is terrifying sometimes actually, um, and it, it it sometimes gives me the 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 feeling of no, I just want to be happy and be good right now. So be with my family and be with them. But I also have a dream when I see I have a little niece when I see her and and I want to actually give her a world to yeah to grow up in. Uh, I dream one one day having my own children. Yeah, yeah. And so so I think that's something that gives me uh, a willingness. But also when I'm here. Uh, at COP, I believe and, and I see that there is a chance of of willingness to do something. I see a chance of hope. Uh, I have hopes, and I think that's that's actually the force that that is driving me. Mm. Um, what about uh, what about you? Yeah, I, I think the word hope is very crucial in this. And I think when you have the feeling of melancholy or anxiety or whatever to call it, when you just think that everything is dark and you can't see any way out of it, it's because you lost the hope. Um, we sometimes go out to, to schools and talk with uh, even kids about this. Uh, and I remember we were in like a bit of a rural area of Denmark a few months ago, uh, talking to some kids from, I think, third grade. So they are around nine years, I think. Uh, and then we asked them, what do you think about the future? What do you think about climate? What do you think will happen? Uh, and we asked them to to write down um, like some post-it notes so they could like share in the, in their own ways. Uh, and one of them wrote that uh, he was sure that everyone would be homeless in a few years. Uh, and I totally understand if you are nine years old and you think that in a few years everyone would be homeless because of of, uh, of climate change, then of course you have melancholy and uh, it's hard to find a hope if you think that 
no one will have a place to live. Um, but I think, uh, Ben, can you maybe share a bit more about like the specific moment where you changed? You said that something changed in your head uh, because I, of course, you were in a in a dark time, and I think that uh, that's totally understandable. Uh, and something changed, but can you recall the moment where the change was happening? It's pretty hard to really pinpoint it to one moment. Um, well, I thought I just started with, I've been to all climate marches before. Um, and then I saw, oh, the 10th of October, there's going to be another climate march. I thought, okay, cool. I don't think I'm going to go. But then I went to Rosa's parents, who are really, really amazing. And I think I kind of mentioned the climate march. I said, oh, that's so cool. And then I started talking with some of Rosa's friends. And they also thought it was a cool idea to go there. So it was just kind of a... I don't know, a ball that got rolling just by seeing that, oh, the climate march is coming up again. And but it's like very hard to really <laughs> choose a moment. Yeah, I, I really I do understand that. Um, but what is, what is your, your dream with, the, with climate justice for Rosa? And uh, last year you, you gave me this one um, mm -hmm. to, to have on my book. So, so you said that I should have it with me every time I, I, I was at a meeting. Um, so, so I've done that for a year now, but, but awesome. what? Yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but what is your dream with, uh, with climate justice for Rosa? My dream, uh, <laughs> what's the dream with it? Just to make a difference, like to make sure that the victims of, the clim of climate change aren't being forgotten and that people, re people really understand that people are dying. And yeah, of course, that UN Day for the Victims of the Global Climate Crisis is also a, a good goal. Um, but yeah, just make a difference, make Rosa proud, and yeah, just try to do something good for the world. Do you have anything in the pipeline for the next? Uh, you're here at COP now, but, mm -hmm. but also, yeah, something here, but also in the future? Um, we're setting up like a real organization, the real climate justice organization, or Rosa organization, to really try to have more impact. We're also thinking about making a documentary where we're going to go to Bangladesh, Tuvalu, places like that. Because, of course, this happened in Europe, but things like this has been, have been happening for way longer and way worse in the global south. To really... I feel like in Europe, European people... Some of them, it's easy to think that, oh, it's happening in the global south. Yeah, we don't care. It's not our problem, but it is actually their problem. But then when they get like conf confronted with like European people dying of climate change, it's a good bridge to those people in the global south where way more people have lost their homes, lost their lives. And yeah, I really just want to focus on those victims and tell their stories. Yeah, yesterday we were in a panel, uh, you and I, I was uh, moderating, and, and mm -hmm. you have collected a lot of youth from Bangladesh and uh, Tuvalu to, to tell their stories. Mm -hmm. um, and I just want to, to ask you what's, yeah, how, how to change the European way of uh, seeing these victims, because it is right that it's selfish of European countries that know the climate change isn't happening here, that mostly in the global south, but... How, how is it able to, to change that way of viewing? Because it is changing these days, but that doesn't mean that 
the victims that already is suffering in the global south are, are irrelevant. I think what, what was really amazing in the European Parliament when they were talking about that day is that every politician that was pro, and it was 47% of the parliament, they all talked about the European floods, European heat waves, and that people are dying there, but also that people are dying all over the world, and that it's actually their fault, it's political inaction. So I think it really, I also had a conversation with like a professor in like that field, and it was like, it's really important to first acknowledge that people are dying, that it's your fault or the fault of the people in your job before you, before you and you can also really change it. Mm -hmm. To really start with creating awareness, admitting that there's a problem, and then like constructively solve it. And what do you think then, because I think all of uh, the people who are here at COP are here to try to make a change, so they want to make a change, just as you say. Um, and I think it's true that we have to like create awareness and we have to tell these stories. Uh, but I also myself have a hard time when we're talking to young people. How do we do that? Because if, I think if we just tell stories about uh, the horrible situations happening everywhere and also telling that it's actually our fault or at least our part of the world, um, I think that would also just increase the fear and increase the uh, anxiety or what to call it. Um, so how do you approach that? Like when you go out and talk to young people, how much do you talk about hope? How much do you talk about fear? How much about feelings, facts, stories? It's so difficult to talk to young people. It's mm -hmm. way easier to talk to old pe people, especially politicians, because they're just wrong. But yeah, young people, I think personally, when I have to give like a speech or a talk, so like very formal then, it's not always fun. But just, I start with my own story. But then I make a bridge to action about what we can do to fight the climate change, fight the climate crisis. And just be a little interactive. Don't make it all too difficult, too, too hard. Don't like bomb them with all kinds of numbers. Just make it a bit personal. Um, tell, tell a story. Like I tell my own story, but you, you can tell other stories, of course. And just try to make them understand that there is a super big problem. Our future is very uncertain, but we can change it. If we all work together, we can, yeah, not solve it, but do damage control. Mm -hmm. And yeah, just always end with something hopeful. Yeah. Yeah, I also think that because you're, you, of course, have a very special story, but um, I think if we want everyone and all young people, especially because that's what we're talking about right now, to act, we also need to tell the stories about how you can act in very small ways and that action can be for everyone. Of course, you don't I hope that you don't need to have a story like yours in order to start acting. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I think that we, when, when we go out and talk to young people, we always tell the story about how we became activists or whatever to say. Um, and I think that I at least always try to focus on the small things uh, and how... Uh, yeah, I was telling a story that I was living in Greece and there was a lot of um, forest fires happening around. And I, until that point, I thought that climate crisis is something for the ones understanding nature science and uh, like scientists and that's something that I could take part in. Uh, but at that point I thought, okay, now it's so big and it's everywhere around me, I need to act. And then I started gathering people. So I also think that 
as you talked about earlier, when you talked about how you changed from being in the dark time to action, I think the word community is a key, uh, just like that you said that when you started to act, it was because you went to a demonstration and you were together with all the friends of Rosa. Uh, so I think that's always something that I would encourage uh, people to to do if they want to act, to find a community to act in. It's always very important to make it very concrete mm -hmm. and just show people this is climate change. You see every day on the news there's like stories about forest fires that are way worse than they used to be, floods, but it's not always written that it's caused by the climate crisis. So really tell them this is climate change. What do you think? Yeah, um, I think that this true that that we need to tell those stories about what's what's happening in the world. Mm -hmm. But I'm also afraid that that young people could have this news fatigue. They could be afraid of watching the news, and then instead of just being interested or, or being aware of what's happening, then they get ignorant from from the world and are afraid of engaging and are afraid of that. So. I totally agree that it's important to actually tell these hope stories, tell the stories of what is the, that gives me hope, what is it that are driving me. Um, I, yeah, I think that ignorance is one of the things that we have to fight against because if you get ignorance about climate change, then then there's no action. Um, but we. We will we will get that if we only preach about the fears. To my to my grandparents, I need to tell about. I'm afraid because they they have a connection to me, and then they will do something. When I talk to some other people, I, I maybe have to use the science. I have to use uh, the numbers, um, and other times I have to preach about the the hope, the inspiration, uh, the chance to of doing something. Um, I think it's very individual to whom it is you're, you're talking that, uh, to what kind of message you will be giving. Yeah, I think that's that's what I, I was thinking. Yeah, I also think that we really need to uh, kind of like diversify what climate action is, uh, because if if climate action is only going on the streets or blocking roads and being maybe a bit too radical for some people, uh, then it will scare away a lot of people. So I think we also need to, to start talking about like, climate activism and climate action can be a lot of different things. Uh, and I think if we, just, if we can convince people to take the first step, then it will be easier for them to take the next step and the next step again. I think it's like also very important for children to really yeah, annoy their parents with it. Tell them about climate change. Tell them that they're doing things that are very wrong. Like, for example, I was speaking with this very big industry CEO and he was said, yeah, I'm going to change my whole business because, yeah, my children told me about all these things of climate change and, yeah, I really, I want to leave a safe home for them. Like, he's actually not really not doing enough, but he's trying to. Yeah. So I think it's really so important for children to tell their parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would really agree, um, but we don't have actually so many children here in the UNFCCC. You will be a child right now, so because you're under 18. Technically, yeah. <laughs> I feel like you're more more child. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. 
how 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 could we engage actually more children and and how should they actually be represented here at COP, for example, mm -hmm. because I I don't think that children should be here as sometimes or because it's so. I think they should. You think they should? Okay. Of course, like. But how? If they want to be, if they believe they can make a difference, if they can make a difference, like if it's if it's like obvious that they can make a difference, they should be here. Why not? It's their future. They're stakeholders. And like last year, I was 16. That was my first COP. Um, but of course, children should be here. It's so important. Also, like in official delegations, children should be present. Okay, I think we have time for one last round, maybe. If you should give like one tip. So one tip to turn hopelessness into action. What would that be? You should have asked me before. Um, <laughs> I wasn't interested. <laughs> one tip. Um, just like become an activist and do the things you feel most most comfortable with. Glue yourself to something. Be a diplomat. It all doesn't matter. We need you. We need you to defend our future. Is that good? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's pretty good. good. Uh, <laughs> What would it be uh, yours? Um, mine will uh, will be find a community. I'll say find find someone that you're agreeing with, um, and then uh, start there. Or maybe you're not agreeing, but but start coming in in circles that that are doing something that are active, um, and then then I think you'll be uh, you'll be awakened into doing something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think try to find some people who are actually engaged in the society. Yeah, I totally agree with both of you. And I think also a bit to wrap up, I could also include to, to tell your story. Uh, tell the stories if you have personal stories like you have been, but also tell the stories about how you started becoming active yourself. And tell about your fears to the ones who are not yet engaged, uh, and especially the ones you have a relation to, because that will maybe uh, help them wake up and start acting. And then, yeah, start with the small steps, because once you've taken one step, it will be easier. And then find your role. I think that's also a big tip. A bit like you were saying, some are activists on the street, some are more diplomatic, some are... Yeah, there's many different ways of doing this. So find the way that you feel most comfortable for. Be sure to follow Nordic Talks on LinkedIn and find more information on upcoming events, new podcast episodes and much more. I'm Josefine Folkfass. Thanks for listening. <laughs>